Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Hit Chat Chit Chat. Before we get into this amazing episode with Robert Riggins of Lackawanna County, I would like to give a quick reminder that we're going to be dropping these guest-like episodes every single Tuesday night on Spotify, Apple, video version on YouTube, and my website rbibaseballllc.com, including these types of hit chat chit chat podcast i'm also going to be dropping a group conversation where i'm inviting members like connor burns of absolute human performance out of alberta canada jp fashone driveline hitting intern trent mcmaster exos strength and conditioning with natural baseball academy steven packendern of game day baseball we're going to be doing a group type discussion every Sunday night with the podcast releasing that same night. And then on Mondays, I have another podcast I do with a couple former college teammates called Bottom of the Order. That's going to be dropping every Monday night. All of these can be tuned into live where you guys can actually join into the chat at twitch.tv backslash RBI underscore baseball underscore llc and all episodes can also be heard on on either hit chat chit chat or bottom of the order on spotify apple and video versions on youtube and rbibaseballllc.com now let's get into it with robert riggins like really weird this is the first week i've done guests and then to have kind of this like hitter lineup that i i started off with it's wild man it's been it's been pretty cool, but I absolutely love having you on. Uh, really quick, would love to introduce you. Uh, Robert Riggins uh, coming on today with us. I appreciate you having on. If you wouldn't mind doing us uh, a little bit of a favor to start, if you would do a little bit of a background about yourself, where you're at, uh, kind of that little uh, intro that you just talked about uh, with the clinic that you're going to be running here uh, in a little bit, uh, and that'd be awesome. Yeah, my name is uh, Robert Riggins. I currently am the hitting coordinator and co-founder of Heavy Metal Baseball in Amarillo, Texas, and I'm also the hitting coach at Lackawanna College in Scranton, Pennsylvania. A little bit about myself, uh, I guess to start, I guess a little bit back is I was actually a high school teacher and baseball coach in New Mexico for 10 years. Um, I wrote a baseball I wrote a baseball research paper called Baseball Bat Attack Angles and Their In-Game Correlations. And I put it on Twitter and I got called by the Yankees, Brewers and Cubs and I got offered a job by the Brewers. And then Alan Nathan, um, the guy that does tons of like baseball physics research and he's a consultant for Rap Soto and Diamond Kinetics and he's a consultant for Major League Baseball, offered to be on my thesis committee. Uh, so like legitimized my paper. Um, so then so I went down to spring training last year, convinced my wife to moved from Santa Fe, New Mexico and quit her job as an x-ray tech. And we moved down there. We're there for about two weeks and the pandemic hits. Um, my salary gets cut. And so within a two-month window last year, I went from being a teacher to being at spring training, throwing batting practice, being out there every day to moving in with the in-laws in Amarillo, Texas and becoming a butcher in the grocery store. And then on top of that, I was cleaning out U-Haul trucks for calf every day just to make money. Uh, and then we opened up our business in uh, Amarillo called Heavy Metal. And uh, now I was trying to find a college job and, and Mike McCary from uh, Lackawanna reached out to me. And, and so I'm, I'm here in Scranton, Pennsylvania, chunking newspapers at, at three o'clock in the morning to make extra, 
And uh, I definitely have a greater appreciation for the Juco grind. Holy cow, man. That is one hell of a roller coaster <laughs> to be going through in that little bit of a window. Um, wow. So really quick, you're in Scranton, Pennsylvania. I did not know that's where uh, the college you're at. My buddy just actually got done doing an internship doing uh, major league scouting and data stuff out there, actually. So he just got back like two days ago. He's been out there for the last six months. Small world with the baseball out there. I also, I saw you posted a gif of Dwight Schrute. Are you a big office person? Huge office guy. Like, I'll probably watch through the series like seven times. So I've... Uh... I, don't, I don't know if you can see this. But it is the Bear, Beat, and Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I, uh, the first thing I did when I drove into town is I tried to find all the buildings that are in the intro. So the, uh, the one that says, like, Pen- Pennsylvania Paper, that big building they show, um, our hitting facility is, like, two blocks from that. Shut up. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's been pretty cool. Like, uh, some of my high school students that are big Office fans, I took a picture of it and sent it to some of my former students, and they, like, lost their mind. I'm going to need to get some of these pictures. I absolutely love The Office. I love every second of it. Um, I'm going to have to send you a link. There is a, like, 190-question quiz over The Office that gives as in-depth as uh, asking the question, why, uh, if, if you remember, Ryan Howard had to drive around Todd Packer when Todd Packer had a DUI, and so when they first went out and they read the license plate, and it was Will, Will Hung. Yeah. And Ryan Howard goes, oh, you big William Hung fan? Todd Packer's <laughs> like, oh, no. So even, like, that little tiny di- like dialogue is on there, and it's 190 questions, one of the best quizzes I've ever found. I'm going to have to send you the link on it. Possibly one of the best test scores I've ever gotten, uh, besides my Rep Soto and Driveline certifications, too. <laughs> Um, really quick, I want to kind of get in a little bit into how you got started with player development, because I sent you a DM the other day and it kind of took me by surprise a little bit. I was not expecting uh, the response I got when uh, I said you had to be a Juco bandit. Uh, if you wouldn't mind kind of walking through that journey that you kind of did and how you got into player development the way that you are. Um, yeah, so my... My senior year of high school, um, I pitched in the state championship game against, at that time, was the number one team in the nation um, from New Mexico. They hadn't lost a game in like three and a half years, and they set like a national record for, for like consecutive wins. Uh, and so in that game, like I, I, I didn't have a single offer until that game. And I know every scout that was there was not there to watch me. They were there to watch all the players on the other team. But luckily, I, I got a couple offers, and I went to go play at uh, Eastern New Mexico University, you know, go Greyhounds. Uh, and I found out that I was diagnosed with two different heart problems. And they told me, you're done. And so I started coaching high school baseball at 18. Oh, wow. And, yeah, so I was a freshman pitching coach uh, in New Mexico my, my, for, about, for about five years. That's what I did. Um, and then I became a head coach at like 22 and, uh, I was very successful at first. So I kind of thought I knew it all. And then I started taking jobs that nobody else wanted. Uh, some jobs I got because I was the only one that applied and I got my teeth kicked in for probably 10 years in New Mexico. Like if you look up my record, I'm probably the worst active head baseball coach in the state of New Mexico. (laughs) 
<laughs> and part like part of it was because the stuff I was using was terrible. And the other reason was like I'd get these kids that they'd show up day one, they do like a forty mile an hour pull down, and I'm like, all right, I gotta get you ready to pitch in a varsity game in four months or four four weeks. And it really turned into like how can I maximize the time that I have with these kids? Because I have to get them ready as fast as possible. And I remember Ben Buck, uh, who's a, I believe he's a pitching coach for the Yankees and, uh, Brian Conger, who I believe is an, uh, like a pitching coordinator for the Reds at the time they were both at Tarleton state. They came to the New Mexico high school coaches association clinic. And they were, they were talking about how they were using data to, like do player development and show that guys were getting better and i was like you can do that like that's a thing i've been doing that as a teacher like forever and i was like it's really not that hard to just track exit velocity and throwing velocity and just scale out development plans but like that's what i've done as a teacher forever and started doing that like remember the first thing i did was Our first experiment we ever did was we we used the axe bat. Like Baseball America had this axe bat study where they put the bat on a tee, they had the kids hit, and compared to like a round knob bat, their peak exit velocity and average exit velocity went up. And so I was like, that's an easy thing to try. So we did that. We bought one axe bat. We had all the kids try it for two weeks, and then we had them all go back to their their regular bat for two weeks. And it was the same thing. They hit the ball harder, and they hit the ball more consistent with the axe bat off the tee. And so after that, I was hooked. I was like, well, what else can I test? And so it just turned into all these things that I could test. And I was able to show growth in these kids, but it was still like, you know, we're playing in large school baseball in New Mexico and my best guy throws 68, which is great. I got him from 40 to 68, but like, he's still terrible. And, (laughs) but I mean, and so that's what it kind of turned into. And we started really experimenting. I was at this school called Powake. Um, We had like nine, nine, I think it was seven. We had like seven Pueblos that would send kids to our school. And, um, you know, funny story. uh, So when I moved there, most of the kids, they've never met anyone that has blue eyes. Uh, So everyone in the whole school called me Dracula. (laughs) That was my my nickname to all the kids was Dracula. So, um, and so with those kids, like I started, they like bought into like using science to solve problems. And, uh, we started doing like the eye patch thing with them and hitting with eye patches on. And, um, and so I got on Twitter and I just started posting stuff really just so I had a place to go back and, and look at my thoughts. And then people started reading it and that just kind of evolved from there. So yeah, the reason I'm I'm at where I'm at now is because I got my teeth kicked in in rural New Mexico for ten years. Is this your guys's uh, college hang facility? No, um, it's a it's it's called Electric City Baseball, um, but the guy who owns it is a high school teacher, so it's about four o'clock. He's not in here, and so oh, so we uh, we do like individual work in the in the morning. And then we have practice uh, later. So, like, we have kids coming in about 30, 45 minutes to start. Oh, hell yeah. Let's go, baby. So, if that's the case, I need to run you through some questions. So, if uh, you wouldn't mind, if you could talk a little bit about your uh, – I bought – is the facility in Amarillo 
is are you a part of that facility or is are you just going to be doing a uh that chaos uh like clinic there uh so the clinic that we're doing is actually at ascent it's uh it's like outside of philadelphia oh that's out of ascent yeah hey okay i've seen that then let's go and uh, the facility that, that I own and run with my business partner, uh, Jared Fuller, is in Amarillo, Texas. Uh, so we, 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 train mo- we, we train mostly high school guys there, but we've had, a, we've had some college kids come in, and, and we, uh, we don't charge college kids if they come in. Uh, we've, uh, yeah, we just do hostile hitting stuff down there, and there's, some, there's kids that, you know, if they stay along around enough, we, we offer them internships, and they can come work for us for free in exchange for free training. and. So we try to help out the kids as much as we can because I, I was really embarrassed to have a facility that I could have never afforded to train in. So we try to make it to where kids have the ability to come train for free. And that's why I put out as much free content as I do, just because I, I grew up poor and I couldn't have afforded any facility stuff. I mean, I used the same glove from the time I was 10 until I graduated high school. Oh, wow. That's some Dustin Pedroia shit. <laughs> I was just a 13-inch beach towel for a baseball glove. That's what I use. <laughs> hey, man, got those offers in the championship game against number one state, though. It was cool. <laughs> looking at your Twitter and looking at the stuff that you do, it's not as conventional as you would see when you go to any local high schools around in the area. Um, when I first heard of you and the first tweet that I saw of yours was 150 mile an hour, uh, oppo BP hack attack getting set up. And I was sitting here wondering if a 45 mile an hour pitching machine would be too much from 25 feet, uh, which simulates a hundred miles an hour. You were sitting there with a 150 oppo direction hack attack. And that's when I had to sit there and go, okay, why am I even somewhat worried about this? They'll be able to figure out. They'll be able to get it. But the atmosphere and the training that you are doing, what does that atmosphere look like? How are you able to make it to where guys are able to fail? Because I'm assuming guys have to fail when it's 150 miles an hour uh, like that. Yeah. What is that atmosphere like, and how have you kind of built that atmosphere to allow for people uh, to continue to grow in that type of training session? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question, because a lot of it you have to tie in with, these kids have been used to taking feel-good BP rounds and going 10 for 10 their entire lives. And so, and they don't, I don't, I think it's really missed understood that in a game the guy throwing to you is actively trying to strike you out and then batting practice i'm trying to just hit your barrel and so they're not replicating anything so like when the kids come in here or when they come to our facility i tell them like every drill we're doing i'm trying to strike you out in that drill i don't i don't want you to hit the ball uh and so what we have to be real cognizant of is you have to monitor their failure and success thresholds and i haven't been able to find it in motor learning but i know like from education research 60 to 70% success rates is what optimizes learning. And so that's where we try to keep everything. Like if they're failing too much, then we probably need to turn the machine down. Uh, and if they're barreling it up too much, then the, the environment's too easy. Um, and there are some, I've kind of changed my thought a tad on it. There, I think there's, there's times for some feel-good BP, but I think uh, like training economy-wise, I'd probably do it like 10% of the time. 
maybe like one or two rounds a week uh, just so guys can kind of feel stuff out. Before, I was just like, no, you don't ever need to do that. But there's a big difference between teaching kids how to hit inside of a facility and then trying to get them ready on a weekly basis to go hit in games. Um, and so that's something I've really has become, I've become aware of since I've been here at that Lackawanna and it's been, it's been an interesting challenge, but I feel like it's one thing I'm really good at is being very observational and making adjustments when needed. Uh, so yeah, I just think it's two things like skill development and then like having feel and understanding the nuances of the game are like two separate skills, but they both play off of each other and they both help each other out or they both could hinder each other. Uh, so I think there's just two different things that I think people get confused with. What is the look on some of the kids' faces when you do bring up and they find out about the practice plan when they see uh, stuff like the 150-mile-an-hour uh, oppo BP hack? Like, what are the reactions that you're getting from some of the kids? Because, I mean, you're at a community college, so you guys are able to train nonstop. So you guys are able, I'm assuming, to get be getting a lot, a lot of reps like this. So probably pretty tough at the beginning, I'm assuming. But is there a, a learning curve? How long does it take normally for kids to kind of come around if it's a, a new kid or possibly a, a new transfer that's coming in? How long does it kind of take for them to buy in, understand what you're selling and stuff like that? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, McCary has this thing called the uh, 85-15 rule where 85% of what you do intuitively has to make sense. And the kids have to like understand it and kind of buy into it immediately. And then that allows you to later on come in with the 15% of crazy ideas. Um, and Adam Grant calls it idiosyncrasy credits. Like you have to have built the relationship enough to where you can suggest these crazy things and they're outside the realm of normal, but they trust you enough to be like, okay, like I'll try it because it's you. Um, and so the other part of it was we started a little bit easier and then we scaled rounds up. Like I can't just come in day one and say, Hey, we're going to hit 150 off the machine. Like just adapt or die, figure it out. And, uh, so I, like I told the kids, like, these are some of the rounds we're going to do. And then we're going to slowly scale stuff up. So the first week it was just like, Hey, we're just going to hit tanks and I want you guys to feel good. And we're just trying to hit bombs and we're just collecting data. That's all we're doing. And then I told him, like, we're going to start turning stuff up. So the next week, we turned the machine up, and, we, and we, t we, we lied to them. We said, it is 90. And so they go in there with the idea that, okay, I'm facing 90. And it was pretty challenging. And then after practice, I sent out a message and said, hey, good job. You guys just hit 115 today. And they were, like, at first, they were all like, what? How, like, how dare you? And then eventually, like, a kid was like, well, can we turn it up? Like, can we hit, like, 120? And then, so it's like become this thing, like, well, could we hit harder? So our, like the record right now, we have a kid that fouled off on a simulated 170. <laughs> and uh, that, those are bragging rights. Like, I mean, it's, they like, they buy into it because we did that. And then we went to our first scrimmage and they were like, this guy's on the mound throwing 92. And they're like, that looks slow. Yeah, that's, that's the point. Like, it's supposed to look slow. Like. That's why we hit 150. So when you see 90, you're like, this guy sucks. That is amazing to have and to be able to 
have kids that trust that and to have a kid that comes up and asks that question of, can we turn it up? Can we get more? Because until you get that question, it, I don't know about you, but as an as a instructor, it's kind of like a slippery slope. It's like, are these guys kind of understanding why we're doing what we're doing? Are these guys understanding why we're doing what we're doing? And until you get that kid that's like, hey, I like this. Can we go up a little bit more? It's kind of like nerve-wracking in my opinion. I don't know about you, but I was always kind of nervous when introducing kind of stuff like that. Um, and I don't know, maybe it's because I'm a little bit more in the beginning of my career. I'm not as, uh, uh, don't feel as comfortable, not as com- as established when uh, kind of bringing up odd kind of ideas and stuff like that. And so for me, once I kind of was able to get that one kid that was like, yep, yeah, all right, like, can we do more? Can we do a little bit extra of this? Until then, I was a little bit uh, nervous. Where were you at? How long did it take for a kid to be able to ask that? And was it kind of, were you a little bit nervous about trying that kind of stuff out? Or have you uh, done this kind of stuff in the past? Um, Yeah, like, so when I first started doing it at Pewaukee, like me and those kids like built this stuff together. And so it was, I kind of like built this idea that like I just bring the kids in on it and tell them what you're doing. And like the kids bring in drills and they're like, Hey, can we try this? And so we'll like vet it out and we'll try to see like, does the drill actually do what people say it does? And, and, um, so at first, yeah, like I was introducing stuff early, like when I started making the change to do kind of more different things or more updated techniques. And I remember having that thought like, Oh my God, I hope this works. Uh, but like now I'm so confident if a kid has a question, I mean, I can point him to a, you know, a 30 page neuroscience paper that I wrote about why eye patches work. And I'm like, dude, I presented this to like major league teams. So like, I know this works cause I've done it so much and I have like actual data to show that it works. And so I've had kids ask and, and even say, I don't feel this works. And so it, they, they like that talk to them like an adult instead of you know the old school way of you're going to do it this way because i said so like they know that if they have reservations they can come to me and we can talk it out and the kids like i've told them with the earplugs and and eye patches like if you really don't want to do it i'm not going to force you to do it uh but what's going to happen is you're going to realize you're the only one not doing it and you're the only one not benefiting from it and uh so i've i've maybe had maybe one kid that is just completely, I don't want to do it. And so I'm like, okay, I'm not like, I'm not going to force you to like, here's all the reasons why it works. And if you don't think it works then it, okay. Like, and so they trust that, that you have like their best interests at heart, as opposed to, I'm going to force you to think the way I think, because I'm the authoritarian figure here and you have to do everything the way that I tell you. And so there's just, there's just a trust factor. Like even in games, I've started to notice that, kids come up to me and they're asking questions about well, what'd you see and like and i think part of it is because you know we're shooting an electronic camera during games and but they're they're like asking like can we work on this or do you think I, this is what i think i'm doing do you see that so it's really turned into like a a good relationship with the with the kids that i feel like they trust me enough to give them maybe not the the i might not have the answer at the time but I have enough resources where I know people that are way smarter than me that I could reach out to and ask them, like, how should I go about solving this problem? 
And so I think they really respect that, that I do that for them. That's awesome to be able to know that you have a coach like that, uh, especially at the junior college level. Um, that's, that's a grind, man. That's a, that's a time where you're not necessarily sure if there even is going to be that next step. I'm, I'm sure as you as a senior that you're going into one of your last final games without any offers, uh, you know that feeling. And a lot of junior college guys can get that feeling too. And so there is that kind of clock, that kind of pressure of I got to start competing quickly because I got to go over this recruiting process now and to have a guy like you to trust and to be able to go to like that, especially in game. That's awesome. That's really cool. And you said that you guys have an Edgetronic camera. What kind of technology do you guys have over there? Uh, so yeah, we have an edger. I needed it for my thesis research because I had to actually study batted ball contact in slow motion. Uh, so I worked four jobs for 18 months so I could afford it. So I was teaching, coaching. I was working security at every dance, basketball game, volleyball, like you name it. I was there running security for the school for it. Um, and then I was giving private lessons in Santa Fe and then I was also selling blast sensors on the side. And so I was doing all that just so I could buy the thing. So we do have that. We have blast sensors. Uh, we have a hit tracks that we're using from heavy metal baseball because in Texas it's football season. So there's not a lot of clients training at our facility right now. Um, and then we, uh, our pitching guys use pulse, the pulse sleeves. Uh, we have driveline track that we use. Um, the hitting approach app that, that basically is like a digital spray chart uh, for, that we use in game. Um, I want to say there's something else that we're using that I'm not naming. But yeah, we, we, we use a ton of stuff. That, that, so every kid has a Google Drive. So like yesterday, I, I sent one of our pitchers' uh, edger video out to a Division One school down in Florida that was asking for it. And so it, like, if, a guy, and if a guy wants one of our hitters, like, okay, here's his Google Drive. Here's 50 at-bats that he had this fall all edgered, and here's all of his blast data, and here's all his hit tracks data. And so that way we can leverage that for the kids that, that not only do they know that they're getting a quality kid, but they know exactly what they're getting because we're able to put out quality stuff uh, to schools that they can trust. And is that something that kind of changed when you came on board uh, with that style of process? No, um, no, Lackawanna, like McCary and, and Boggs, the pitching coach have like kind of built this brand that that's what they do. Um, before me, they had, they had way better hitting coaches before me. Uh, they, so the, they had the data driven duo that are currently both working in professional baseball. Um, and then the guy before them now, well, I think he works at a division one in Georgia. Um, so he's, he's kind of had this tradition of only having hitting coaches for one year because they get picked up by organizations or division one schools. You're not just like a coach trying to help players transfer out. You're also trying to possibly look to transfer out yourself. That, that's a, that's a pretty good little spot right there. If that's where the guys ahead of you have been able to go off and do. Yeah. I've, I've interviewed with a few major league organizations the past several months and all of them keep saying the same thing is you don't have any experience with high level guys, which is true. I mean, I was at spring training long enough to get a sunburn and, and I got sent home and uh, I've only ever really worked with high school kids. So I was like, well, if I come do this, then that takes that excuse away from them. And eventually like 
there's just not going to be any excuses for not hiring me. I like that. I like that a lot. And has that kind of always been uh, how you've gone about your business is just not allowing them to have an excuse, a uh, kind of FIO, uh, if you will? Yeah, figure it out. Yeah. Like, I just, I can't stand it when people tell me I can't do something. Like, probably the, the, the I guess this story will explain my entire personality. I was starting to run again. And I woke up in the morning and I was, I was probably running like a mile and a half to two miles. And I felt really good. And I told my wife, I'm thinking I'm going to run five miles today. That's how good I feel. And she like laughed at me and was like, there's no way you can run five miles. And so I was so mad at her for telling me I can't run five miles that I was just like, I'm going to run five miles. Like, I don't care what she said. So I put like a running app on just to verify it. And I ran like she called me about 45 minutes into the run and asked where I was at. And I was like, I'm about to finish five miles. And so I get to the house and I had torn two ligaments in my foot because I, I guess I just pushed myself too hard. And so I got to the house and my like left foot is black and blue and swollen. And I had like ripped uh, two like tendons or ligaments off the, of the heel at the bottom of my foot. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And she was just, so mad at me, but I was like, I don't care. Like you told me I couldn't do it. I was freaking do it. And so I was on crutches for like a week, waiting for those like ligaments to heal up so I could walk on them again. But hey, five miles, baby. Yeah. So like, <laughs> I mean, that when I told some some peers of mine that were high school coaches that I wanted to coach at the college level, they're like, Oh, you'll never coach at the college level. Like, you can't even win at this level. Um, and then when I had mentioned to other people that I wanted to coach professionally at the professional level, they're like, no, you, you never play. Like you don't know anybody. You can't, that you will never get to do that. And I just, I refuse to let other people dictate my reality. Do you, when do you feel that kind of mentality was kind of inflicted on you? When do you feel like you kind of start to embrace that type of idea? Cause that's something that, not many people are able to uh, kind of understand and get a hold of that it's your life, not somebody else's. You need to do what is best for you and not have other people tell you what's going on. When were you able to kind of get uh, that? Yeah, it's funny you ask that. So my, when I was about seven, eight years old, my father was a police officer and was in this. I'll send you the pictures later. He was in this terrible accident. Uh, ended his police career, ended up having surgeries for the next two years. The guy was on, poor guy was on crutches for two years. Oh man. And he never like him and my mom never like mentally recovered from that. And so everything that happened to him in life after that or, or us was because of that wreck. Like they blamed everything. Like I can't, I can't do this because I'm disabled now, or I can't do that because I'm disabled. And it was like, they just never recovered from that. And I just, I, I mean, I love my parents, but I just hated that that was their mentality towards everything. And then even when I came home and I was like, I can't play college baseball anymore because I have this heart problem. My mom was like, I told you, like, that's just how things work. And I just was like, no, like, I don't care, like, what it takes. Like, I'm, this isn't going to be how my life turns out. And so everything I do, like, I feel like is in honor of my dad and my mom to prove that, like, that's not the legacy I want for my family. Like, I want to be able to look my son in the eye and say, look, I worked my ass off and I got to do the things I wanted to do. I think you're going to be able to do that, man. 
I mean, just alone with <laughs> the newspapers, working four jobs, just, just getting an extra camera. Like, I mean, those are the things that uh, people make it like that. People make it. And to have you, one of the first messages you sent me was you saying that you're uh, to have on a nobody. Man, like, I, you are a, a very humble um crazy uh human being so far from what i've seen uh on twitter uh just in the type of training that you're willing to do and put your kids through uh the stuff that you're willing to put your own self through just to make sure that your family and uh your players are able to get the best treatment um i mean it, it it's admirable man it really is just to kind of see the position that you're in and what you're doing uh, for everything. And, uh, I want to thank you, uh, for coming on. One of the last couple questions that I have for you. One, do you have any people on Twitter, on Instagram, podcasts, books, movies, anything that you are, uh, uh, would like to push for the people back home? Um, my, I have my business partner that he doesn't tweet very often, but he does tweet some interesting stuff about flow states uh he's uh his name's jared fuller um as far as books like there's one one of my favorite books i read recently it's a neuroscience book about uh how your brain interprets time and space called your brain is a time machine uh that one is crazy interesting like if you want to get domed up like (laughs) (laughs) that book took me like six months to read because I'd like listen to a page and then I have to write down all these words and go look them up because I had no idea what they meant. <laughs> and so like that, most of the stuff I read, like I'm not, I don't feel like I'm a smart guy. It's just, I read something and then I go look up all the words because I don't know what any of those things mean. <laughs> and, uh, so that's a good one. Um, the rise of Superman uh, that would be a good one about hacking flow states because that's kind of where we're at. The one I'm reading right now is called You Know It When You See It. It's uh, the neurobiology of how vision works. Like that one's just been, it, it just blows my mind thinking that, you know, like everybody's taste is different. Like how we had tasting, like everybody's vision is different. And so how you see a pitch coming into you is totally different than how I see it. Really? Yeah. And it's like, like, I've never thought about it like that. And so then it's like, well, why would you train kids to see things the same way if they don't? Like, you have to, you have to like, figure out how to train it to where it works within their interpretation of vision. Yeah. Is so, that what the whole, like, eye patch? Uh, I mean, I know you've been doing the eye patch for a long time, and you said you're just now reading this book. But is that kind of, like, where you are starting to connect the dots of why that was starting to make sense and why you had success with that in the past. Yeah. I, uh, have you read any of my papers? I have not. I uh, did not know you had a written paper, but I'm going to uh, go and uh, look at them in uh, my, as soon as possible. I have a website uh, that has, it has my thesis research and presentation on there. Um, it has my um eye patch like i wrote an eye patch research review that has like 15 citations that i presented to the brewers when i was there um and then there's one about why earplugs work and then there's one about using proprioception for skill acquisition and then there's another one i just put out as a thought experiment about how to use parkinson's physical therapy to help pitchers build better command 
I mean, business-wise, if you ever want to come down to Amarillo, Texas and uh, train in heavy metal and do weird stuff, and our our slogan for that place is uh, heavy metal baseball, F this place, because kids get so frustrated. Because we, like, we find your inherent flaws, and then we just feed that mistake. And you either fix it, or you're probably going to break the door on the way out. Like, that's that's pretty much usually what happens. But the kids always come back. Like, they love... Uh, like we have a thing with PRs and candy bars. So we just have boxes of candy bars in our closet. So if you PR, you like, you just get to go dig through the candy closet. Uh, so we like a lot of times kids come back and even just hang out just because they enjoy being there or their friends are there. And I'll take a video, like dudes are just going nuts for each other. Like when guys PR and it's, it's just fun. Um, I know my business partner, they do a thing where it's breakfast on Sundays where they meet up with a bunch of the high school kids and they'll go eat breakfast uh, Sunday morning before they all go to church. So it's, it's kind of turned in this tight knit group. Um, you know, we go to the kids football games. One of our guys is a wrestler. So we go watch his wrestling matches. So yeah, if you just want to come and hang out with a bunch of weird baseball dudes, any, you know, anybody's welcome to come down to Amarillo, Texas and hang out with us, go to taco board meetings. Um, as far as like building the atmosphere, I, I think we just built that because we, we just, care that much about the kids and then they see that like they realize it's not about us it's about them um like our our goal is that they don't need to come back and see us anymore like they come see us for a problem we teach them how to fix it maintain it um and then how to solve other problems and then if they come back it's just because they like us like the answer can't always just be more lessons so that's why we joke we're, we're terrible businessmen because our our goal is to get rid of you <laughs> Our goal is that you don't come back to see us anymore because we fixed that problem. So the, 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 I guess it should happen on this uh, episode. Just we're just FIO figuring it out. <laughs> Heck yeah, let's go. We we FIO'd this entire episode. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. And if there's anything I could do for you or, or any of the listeners, like feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at Serve Lead Coach, and I'll do whatever I can for you. I like some. I'm a relative nobody. I don't really know anyone, but if I could do anything to help anyone out, just holler at me.